Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's episode includes some thematic material. I want you to be aware before you listen in the presence of little ears. Lehman Property Management Company has the apartment you will be able to call home with over 1,600 apartment units available in central Illinois. Visit them today at MidwestShelters.com or visit them on Facebook. My fascinating guest for today is Greg Steer, and his life is remarkable because of the way God used anything the enemy meant for evil and used it for his good and for God's glory. Greg is a speaker and the founder of Dare to Share, which helps youth leaders empower students to reach their world. Greg has also authored 20 books, and his newest one, entitled Unlikely Fighter, comes out on November 9th. Today, Greg's going to share how the gospel changed everything for him and how it can do the exact same thing for you, no matter how far you are from God or what mistakes you've made. Our Heavenly Father loves you and longs for a relationship with you. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Greg. So glad to be here with you. Well, you are such a powerful storyteller, and I love that your latest book is a memoir. But will you first take us back and give us a glimpse into your family of origin and kind of share the real picture of what it was like to grow up as an urban child? Yeah, so I was just born into this crazy family. You know, when you're a kid, you don't know it at the time. It just, it was intense. A lot of violence. Three of my uncles were competitive bodybuilders. The fourth one was a bouncer at the toughest bar in Denver. The fifth one was a Golden Gloves boxer judo champion and war hero and my mom was the only girl in the group she was the one sister and they were all all the her brothers were afraid of her because she could fight and she used a baseball bat and um the denver mafia nicknamed my uncles the crazy brothers so whenever the mafia thinks your family is dysfunctional it is not a good thing (laughs) and so i was just kind of born into this family of violence and intense violence uh, and I was not violent. I was a scared little bookish kid that, you know, hid underneath the kitchen sink and behind the couch to get away from the loudness and the violence. And uh, I was just scared. I was, we were in a high crammed area of our city. And so I was afraid of my family. I was afraid of my neighbors. I was just a terrified kid with a, without a dad. I never knew who my biological father was. So it was just, it was pretty intense and uh, saw more violence, uh, you know, by the time I was 15 or 16 than most people will see their entire lives. So, so I was always confused growing up because I have a big brother, Doug, he's, he's got a dad named George Steer. And I thought he was my dad because my last name's Steer. And whenever George Steer called the house, my mom and him had long since divorced, he would I always say, if I answered, you'd say, put your brother on the phone. And my mom would always call him Doug's dad. And so I was like, why do you always call him Doug's dad? And why doesn't he ever want to talk to me? You know, he's my dad too, I thought. And uh, she was sitting at the kitchen table smoking a cigarette. She goes, sit down, I got to tell you something. And she she told me, she said, I met your, uh, I met your biological father at a party. And um, we partied. And I got pregnant. And he was in the army. He got transferred 2,000 miles away. 
and uh, haven't seen him since. And so I found out it was basically, you know, a one night stand, a short term sexual relationship that this guy had with my mom. I found out from my grandmother that uh, my mom, right after I was conceived, drove from Denver to Boston to have an illegal abortion. So she she didn't want to stand in front of her conservative parents, my grandfather, my grandmother, and give an account again because she was a wild child. But she was staying with my aunt. Carol, my uncle Tommy, and they talked her out of it when she was eight months pregnant. I mean, she was she was going to go through with it, and they talked her out of it. And she came back to Denver, had me, and for years I wondered why, when she would look at me, she would often burst out in tears. And it's because you know she almost took my life in her in her womb, and so she never knew to the day that she died. She never knew that I knew that, and I never told that story uh, until she passed away because I didn't want to bring shame upon her. Wow, that already moves me to tears. That's incredible just to see the Lord's hand of protection on you. And I'm so grateful for that choice that she made courageously to keep you. And then also, I'm just wondering, you said conservative parents, was there any element of Jesus in any of your family of origin? So it was this dichotomy because my grandparents were Baptists. And all their kids, I mean, pretty much all of them, except for one, was just pretty violent and intense. So rebels, they they loved to fight. And some of it was because my grandparents were pretty violent. My my grandfather was freakishly strong. And, you know, there, there were times when, you know, people would cut him off or flip him off. And one time my Uncle Dave told me a story where he hit a guy so hard in a traffic light the guy flew across the front seat and shattered the passenger side window with his head. This is on the way home from church, right? So they're conservative, but they were tough and they were strong. And it was a different age back then. I honestly think my uncles were trying to keep up with the strength of my grandpa and toughness of my grandma. And uh, during this time still, they, they went to Bethany Baptist Church every Sunday morning. And I remember they would take me and my, my brother. I think they felt guilty for how most of their kids had kind of turned out. And they were trying to make it up with us. And it was at Bethany Baptist where I, I heard the gospel when I was eight years old and uh, put my faith in Christ. And I love my grandpa and grandma. They, I don't want to paint them as a violent beast. And my family, too, even though my family was violent, I mean, it was not like they would just were just picking on random people on the street. They, we lived in a gang-infested area, and they fought other gangs. But it, yeah, it was just this weird cocktail of Baptist upbringing, very conservative, but my my uncles and my ma were very violent. And I remember you talking one time and talking about one pivotal prayer from your grandmother that you believe helped change the trajectory of your family's life. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, here's what happened is my family radically transformed by the power of the gospel. A preacher, a preacher whose nickname was Yankee, even though he was from the deep south, this sounds made up, but it's true, planted a church in the suburbs of Denver in a town where I live now, actually called Arvada, Colorado. And on a dare from a guy named Bob Daly, reached into the city, went to my Uncle Jack's house. My Uncle Jack was my the toughest one of my uncles, in and out of jail his whole life, once for choking two cops at the same time who were trying to arrest him on assault charges. He choked them out. And I think it took another seven cops to take him out. I mean, he was a very, very intense, loved to fight, 
bodybuilder, tattoos everywhere, big lamp chop sideburns. Even when he talked to me, talk like this, you know, he's a really intense guy. And this preacher, Yankee, went to his door, knocked on his door. Jack came to the door, no shirt on, tats everywhere, two beer cans, one for drinking beer, one for spit and chew. The biggest German shepherd you'd ever seen in your life named Lobo, right? And uh, he goes, what do you want? And Yankee said, I'm here on a dare from Bob Daly to tell you about Jesus. Well, my Uncle Jack knew Bob. And Jack and Erlene, my Uncle Jack and, and his wife Erlene, my Aunt Erlene, their kids had actually been going to Yankee's Sunday school on a school bus. And so he said, hey, by the way, you have the best girls. They are so sweet. And that just kind of got Yankee in for a few minutes. Jack said, all right, I, I'll give you five minutes. Yankee sat down, explained the gospel. And my Uncle Jack had never heard the gospel so clearly laid out that Jesus came for sinners. He just thought, you know, I'm going to hell. I'm not good enough. I'm going to hell. I'm going to just party until I get there and fight as many people as I can. Well, he didn't know Jesus came for sinners just like him. And Yankee said, does that make sense? And he goes, hell yeah. That was his sinner's prayer was hell yeah. He put his faith in Christ. And my interlink trusted Christ. And they started going to Yankee's church. And all this stuff happened. I, I mean, it was like a domino effect in my family. Well, I found out years later, I, she, my grandma told me, it wasn't just one pivotal prayer. She goes, you, I know you tell these stories and you tell about Yankee and how God used him. And he did. But I want you to know, I prayed every day for every one of my kids by name to come to Christ, to be radically transformed. So Yankee was an answer to your grandma's prayer. And so it really hit me. I was like, man, when you have evangelism combined with a praying mom or a praying grandma, oh my goodness, that's like an unstoppable force. And uh, my grandma, as tough as she was, she was tough on her knees in prayer too. I mean, she just, she wrestled with the Lord until every one of her kids fully came to Christ. Wow. I think that is so encouraging for all of the praying parents and grandparents listening but then can you share a little bit more about how life did change for you and your family after Christ radically transformed all of you? Well, and it was a, it was a process. So I'll just kind of I'll share with you kind of what happened. So Uncle Jack trusts Christ, and it kind of creates a stir. My Uncle Bob, around the same time, he's a bouncer at the toughest bar in Denver. This guy is 6'3", north of 230. I mean, strong, strong man, freakishly strong, not a bodybuilder, but... He worked as a pipe fitter, so he would he would lug 500-pound pipes around. He was the only guy at his work that could do it. And immensely strong. A guy, at a, he was a bouncer at this bar, the Silver Dollar Bar and Grill in Denver. One of his best friends gets stabbed in a barroom brawl. Finds this guy hiding on the backside of the bar, smashes his skull into the, into the wall, begins to beat him. Cops come, arrest my Uncle Bob. This guy, his heart had stopped, so they start trying to resuscitate him. They throw him in the back of the squad car. He sees what's going on, and he calls out to God. And he had actually trusted Christ as a kid, a little kid. But he all that he'd been rebelling, all that came back like a flood. He surrendered fully to Christ in the back of a squad car. He found out the next day they resuscitated the guy. He was set free, and he man, he went to Yankees Church, started a bus route, went to Florida Bible College. So all this stuff, my uncle Bob, my uncle Jack, one by one by one, they come to Christ. But one of the only holdouts, one of the only holdouts was my ma. And ma just, she did not think God could ever forgive her for all the things she'd done wrong. Cause she was a partier and I was a result of one of the parties and she was a fighter. You know, she'd go out dancing every Friday night and Saturday night at, you know, at the Shangri-La. He used to say, I'm going to go find me a man. 
a good one this time. And she never could find the, the right man. But I started telling her when I was 12, because I went to Yankees church and Yankee trained us how to share the gospel. So I, uh, the first one on my heart is my mom. So I start telling mom, Jesus died for you. And she would sit there at the table smoking. She goes, you don't know the things I've done wrong. And I, I knew it because my grandma had told me everything. I go, it doesn't matter, Ma. Jesus died for everything. This happened from the time I was 12, 13, 14, until I was 15 years of age. And finally, I walked in. And you got to kind of come straight at my family. You can't come, you know, through the side door. You got to kick in the front door. I said, Ma, Doug and I don't want you to go to hell. Doug's my big brother. You need to listen to the gospel. She goes, all right, tell me again. I laid it out. She goes, you mean to tell me Jesus paid for all my sins, even the really bad ones? I said, yeah, they're all bad, Ma. Nailed to the cross. Jesus paid the price. You trust in him. You have eternal life. She goes, you mean to tell me all I got to do is put my faith in him. I'm forgiven for everything. I said, you've forgiven everything. He gives you life, new life, hope, heaven, everything. She took a drag from her cigarette and she said, I'm in. And when my family said they're in, they're in. My mom put her faith in Christ and I had the privilege of leading her to Christ and now I lead a ministry, Dare to Share. We train teenagers all over the world how to share the gospel. It's because I started as a kid, and I was trained and equipped. And, man, I'm so grateful to see my mom. I'm sorry. I'm getting choked up thinking about her. Come to Christ. Because she she was the woman at the well, you know, with the baseball bat. When I was five, you got to understand, I saw her, Laura. I was uh, playing with a plastic bat on the front porch in North Denver, and a brand-new car pulls up. And I see somebody in the car. It's one of the guys she had married, you know, months or a couple years earlier. I don't remember. But he left us for months. He was gone. We had no idea where he was. Pulls up in the brand new car. I yell inside, Ma, one of my daddies is here. And she goes, where's the bat? You know, she's smoking a cigarette. I had a little plastic bat I tried to give to her. She grabbed a Louisville slugger behind the door, runs out. He's still sitting in the car, takes out his headlights, takes out his front windshield, knocks off his mirror. And she dared him, get out of the car, you know, and she's not afraid of this dude. She's got, you know, five street fighting brothers that are all afraid of her. Well, he made a mistake in getting out of the car and she beat him. I mean, I joke about it sometimes, but actually, I think it traumatized me as a kid because she just, I mean, beat him with that bat. And finally, she comes back in. He drove off eventually and we never saw him again for obvious reasons. But I remember thinking to myself, you know. I will never disobey my my mother. Oh my goodness, she's like a soccer mom and a terminator, you know, a mominator. <laughs> but it was here's the deal. When I figured out with write, you know, writing this book uh, about my life that it was it was shame that fueled the rage that my mom had in her heart. And when Christ came into her life, man, he nailed that guilt and shame to the cross. And not that she didn't wrestle with it after that, you know, I mean, I know she did, but it was a tipping point. And I was just so grateful for the privilege of leading my mom to Christ. And now a brief message from our sponsor. With over 1,600 apartment units available throughout Pekin, Peoria, Peoria Heights, Morton, Washington, and Canton, and with every price range covered, you will have plenty of options when you rent through Lehman Property Management Company. They have townhomes, duplexes, studios, and garden-style options located in many areas throughout Pekin. In Peoria, a historic downtown location and apartments adjacent to the OSF Medical Center provide excellent choices. Check out their brand new luxury property in Peoria Heights overlooking the boutique shops and fine dining on Prospect. 
And in Morton, they offer a variety of apartment homes with garages, a hot downtown location, and now a brand new high-end complex near Idlewood Park. They're beautiful, spacious apartments with private garages in a quiet but convenient location await you in Washington. And if you're looking in Canton, don't miss Village Square Apartments. Lehman Property Management Company has a knowledgeable and helpful office staff and maintenance crew, including several employees with over 30 years working with this reputable company. Renters may be excited to learn about their flexible leases, pet-friendly locations, and even mini storage units that are available in some locations. So make sure you check them out on Facebook today or email their friendly staff at leasing at laymanprops.com. You can also stop by their website at midwestshelters.com. Check them out and find your place to call home today. I'd love for you to also share how you had that burning ember to fight within you. And I think you've laid that out well for us to understand with your family of origin. But how did God reveal that to you and then even redeem that and use it for his purposes? Yeah, so, you know, I went to, you know, Yankees church and he started a little Christian school or got a Christian school. And so I went there and uh, I didn't think of myself as a tough kid at all, but I was raised in a tough family and, you know, I was around it all the time. And I remember once, you know, they would make you do different like sports every month. Like one month you would do softball, baseball, football, wrestling. And then one month they make you box. So it's kind of weird at Christian school, I mean, make you box. And I remember I had, I got, slated with this kid who was bigger than me supposedly had been trained by a gold gloves boxer and he didn't like me steve salazar because i just joke around i call him i call him salad bar hey what's up salad bar and he's like i want to get you and well he got slated to to box on friday and so monday i find out so i don't know i'm like oh my goodness i don't want to call my uncles you know and say how do i box so I read it, you know, I like got Rocky, watched it <laughs> every night, <laughs> looking in the mirror. And, uh, but the problem is this kid really knew how to box. And Friday, you know, everybody's there. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what is it? What's going to happen? I'm just going to do, I'm going to do my best Rocky impression. And then something happened down deep inside. Like, I just realized I'm going to get, I'm going to get slaughtered by this guy because I'm dependent on watching a movie, Right. And then I just started thinking, well, he can't box if I just knock him out. And something flipped. I, I found out I was I there was my family gene somewhere deep inside. And I ran out and I hit him so hard that the boxes boxing, you know, gear turned to the side where he couldn't see it. And then I hit him again. I jumped on him and I just I think I've been chasing him all around all the ring. Like, Come on, salad bar, let's go. Well, I had something down deep inside after all. I said, okay, maybe I'm part of my family. But the Lord, that switch, that kill switch in all of us was redeemed more for the gospel uh, than anything else. So my family, before Christ, they took that rage out on on in fighting, fist fights. But after Christ, man, it became, man, I, who can I tell about Jesus? There was a little bit of overlap time, you know, where there was still, like if somebody didn't trust Christ, if, they, if you didn't take Jesus, they may give you Moses, you know, right upside your head. But uh yeah, I mean that all that that burning gospel ember down deep inside was just you know we we found it we found it and we fueled it to advance the gospel of Christ. I'll tell you another story. I have uh, one uncle, my uncle Dave, who was the Golden Gloves boxer, speaking of boxing, judo champion, but he was a war hero. 
As a matter of fact, years ago, we were at an Italian restaurant. This is just a few years ago with my family and him. And Uncle Dave's like, yeah, you know, I was, I, I carry around with me a vial of shrapnel and he takes it out. And I go, oh my goodness, why do you carry that around? Because this, what is it? He goes, that's a shrapnel that was taken out of my body. So when anybody talks, uh, you know, bad about, you know, the United States, I just take it out and start shaking it. And they're like, what is that? Because that's the sound of the price of your freedom. That's the shrapnel taken out of my body so you can complain about the United States. I'm like, oh my goodness, how do you argue with that? Well, he's like, oh yeah, I got shot five times too. And I I didn't realize, I'd be like, you got shot five times? So we're in this Italian restaurant. He's showing us all the bullet holes in his body, which is kind of awkward. It's actually really awkward. And then my poor wife was mortified. And he goes, oh yeah, I got bayoneted. He lifts up his shirt. There's a five-inch jagged gash right in the middle of his stomach. I'm like, oh, my goodness, what happened? He says, you know, Greg, I was a crew chief of a rescue copter, and we would fly these copters into the hot zones where the battle was raging, and we would rescue wounded soldiers. And we would fight our way across the battlefield to rescue these wounded soldiers, get them on the helicopter, and get them to, get them to the safety. You know, And he goes, one time, he goes, I was always the first one out of the helicopter. And one time I landed, I saw two enemy soldiers dragging an American into the jungle. So I, I was the first one out of the helicopter, chased them down because instead I got ambushed. I got taken out by three enemy soldiers. They took my gun, threw me on the ground. One stood on one arm, the other stood on the other arm and the other stood over me with an AK-47 and a bayonet. And he started gutting me, just bayonetting me. I go, what did you do, Dave? He goes, I prayed to God and kicked him in the groin. I'm like, okay. He goes, those two guys jumped off. And he goes, that AK-47 machine gun dropped out of the guy's hands. And it was like slow motion, turned around in a circle and landed in my hands. I killed the enemy soldiers. I rescued the American. I flew another six hours after that. I go, what about your gash in your gut? He goes, I duct taped it. I go, oh my goodness, you are Rambo. What in the world? And then I asked him, I go, Dave, you said you would take every tour that you possibly can, every mission you possibly could. You would never sleep. I go, why? Why were you so dedicated? Why did you fly so much to rescue these soldiers? He goes, Greg, I was a little bit older when I went in to the army. And I looked at these other soldiers. They look like kids to me. He goes, what would you do to rescue your kids, Greg? What would you do? He goes, you'd be the first one out of the copter. You'd run into the jungle. You'd take a bayonet shot, wouldn't you? I go, yeah, I would. And he goes, that's what you're doing with Dare to Share. You know, you're going to be the first one out. You know, you're going to do whatever you can to rescue this generation. And my goodness, I feel like I was being commissioned by a war hero to do this. And I think it's not just with with me at Dare to Share. I think every mom, every dad, every grandfather, every grandmother, every coach, every teacher, every youth pastor, every pastor – I mean, we are there to rescue this next generation. And the gospel is what's going to rescue them, the good news of Christ. Prayer and the gospel of Christ, those are our weapons of choice, right? We wrestle not with flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle. And uh, boy, I got commissioned by my Uncle Dave that day. Yes, you did. And that has also fanned the flame for this burning desire you have for every last one to be saved. How did you get that passion that led to starting Dare to Share? And can you explain a little bit more about what Dare to Share is? Yeah, you know, I think I think the passion really started when I was about 12 years old. Uh, my youth pastor 
Timo Sanchez. Uh, he, he was a street kid too. He was reached in West Denver by Yankee, him and his brothers. And um, But he was older than me. He was a, my youth leader. He gave me a homework assignment when I was 12. He said, I want you to go to the, uh, this mall and I want you to sit at a busy part of this mall on a Friday night and I want you to watch people and I want you to, for 30 minutes, put an imaginary tag on their forehead that reads bound for hell. And it sounded weird. I'm like, okay, because I want you to think about the hell they're headed to and the hell they're going through apart from Christ. And I said, okay. And so I did reluctantly, but I sat there and I watched people for 30 minutes and I just imagined this bound for hell sign on their forehead. And I thought about the hell they were headed to and the eternal separation from God. And I thought about the hell they were going through apart from Christ. Because I, I remember that hell. I mean, I wasn't too far from it, you know, myself. Uh, a life without Christ, the violence, the confusion, all that stuff. And within 30 minutes, I was weeping, weeping uh, for the lost. And I still see that sign to this day. So I started 30 years ago a ministry called Dare to Share, where we, we train, equip, mobilize teenagers to share the gospel. We do catalytic events. We provide tools, apps, curriculum. Uh, much of it's free. Every November, we do a thing called Dare to Share Live, where this year, we'll have over a thousand churches across the United States, and some even in Africa signed up. We train, equip them to share the gospel, and then we all go out to share the gospel at Dare to Share Live. And it's exciting because simultaneously, teenagers across the nation are sharing Christ with their friends and also with strangers they meet on the street. We, we mobilize them to share the good news. And I, I think it's really good for the listeners of this show to understand there is hope. God is raising up a remnant. There is an army ready to be inspired, equipped, and deployed. Uh, again, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with the gospel of Christ and with prayer. And so, boy, all the prayer support, you know, just like my grandma was on her knees praying for her sons and her daughter to come to Christ. I would just ask, man, would you, would every, everyone listening be praying for these students equipped to dare to share live that, that God would use them to launch a, a spiritual revival across this nation and around the world. There is hope and the gospel is going to bring that hope. Absolutely. And I think that's exciting that we all can participate. And Greg, you have such a great pulse on teenagers. So what are some of the common issues teens are facing? Oh my goodness. It's all the stuff that we wrestled with when we were teenagers, but social media and this pandemic has been like rocket fuel poured on the fire. And so what's happened is a lot of kids struggle today with anxiety, suicide. It's like I was talking to somebody who ran hospitals and they said they've never seen more 25-year-old and younger filling hospital beds with suicide attempts. And I think what's happening is, you know, there's a great anxiety about what's going to happen in the world. And all the lockdowns and different things that have taken place have really impacted students. They're coming back into in culture, but sometimes that they're, they've been damaged. So they're looking for hope to re, how do I reconnect? And so I think it's a, a great time to really point people to the, the message of the gospel and the community of, you know, the church to get them plugged in. And I, I think this generation is desperate for hope and we have the message that can, that can bring that hope. And we have a community of believers that can provide that. So I, I say every team needs three things. They need a king, they need a cause, and they need a crew, right? King, Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me is what he said in Matthew 28, 18, 
right? Because go and make disciples. And I think we have to reframe the Great Commission as the greatest cause. And the crew is, you know, they it was a team of, you know, 11 of them because Judas had bagged out. But uh, Christ was there too. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So the Great Commission gives us all three of those things, a, a king, a cause, and a crew. I really feel we need to start playing offense. I think we're so locked in and how do we how do we stop anxiety and how do we stop suicide attempts and how do we do this we need to stop playing defense start playing offense because it's the gospel message that's, that's going to transform everything uh, henry david thoreau once said for every thousand hacking at the leaves of evil one strikes at the root so the, the gospel strikes at the root of evil strikes at the root of anxiety strikes at the root of everything that is attacking our students and so we need to unleash that full power of the message of Christ to them. And so I feel like you've laid out the solution and also provided so much hope. And so then when we look at the positive side, what are some of the positive statistics of teens that are maybe lesser known? You know, there's a statistic that is very encouraging to me, and it's the 10% rule. And this is not just of teens, uh, but it's from the Ron Saylor Polytechnic Institute. If you get 10% of any group 100% committed to a vision or a set of values, they'll inevitably influence the other 90%. And so if we get 10% of our teenagers in our youth groups on fire for Christ, they become a thermostat that just cranks the heat up. And so you don't need to get all 100% of the youth group on board. You need to get 10%, 100% on board. And that's what we're doing. We're looking for the 10 percenters. How do we find these kids and really get them all in for the cause of the gospel? And I'll give you some other statistics. 77% of those who come to Christ do it by the time they're 18 years of age. So they're more open to the gospel. And the average teen has got 425 online and face-to-face friends. So that means teens can share the gospel to a crowd of 425 if they leverage their social media and their personal interactions for the gospel. Teens can come to Christ quicker and spread the gospel faster than adults. So we need to look at teenagers as a strategic sleeping giant that, if awakened and inspired, equipped, and deployed, can really change the game for the church in the United States and around the world. Well, and that really is following Jesus' model, because I've heard you say before that Jesus was a youth leader. So can you unpack the biblical truths of that and how you arrived at that conclusion? Yeah, you know— I was actually doing a workshop at the Billy Graham School of Evangelism in Nova Scotia, and there was an old black pastor sitting on the front row, and I was talking about youth ministry, and he's like, well, you know, Jesus was a youth leader. And I'm like, "Uh, okay, how do you know that? And he's like, well, if you look in Matthew 17, 24 through 27, Peter, Jesus, and the disciples go into Capernaum, but only Peter and Jesus pay the temple tax. Like, okay. And he goes, and if you cross reference with Exodus chapter 30, verse 14, the temple tax was only for those 20 years old and older. And I'm like, oh my goodness. All the disciples are there in Capernaum, only Peter and Jesus pay, which means only Jesus and Peter were 20 years old or older. That means Jesus was a youth leader with one adult sponsor, Peter, right? And one rotten kid named Judas, and no budget. And with that youth ministry, he transformed the world. And that is an encouragement to everybody out there 
you know, that we, Jesus said greater things than these shall you do. We have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. And you may be saying, well, he was the son of God, but he, he was the son of God, but he wasn't using his God card. He was walking in dependence on the Holy Spirit and he gives us that same Holy Spirit. If we can look at ourselves uh, in that realm, man, God can use us to be game changers, world changers, because of the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and in our students. And Greg, what is your vision for youth ministry? Mobilizing these teens for the gospel. So our vision at Dare to Share is every teen, everywhere, hearing the gospel from a friend. So our goal is every teen. There's one billion teenagers around the world, everywhere, hearing the good news of Christ from a friend. That means we have to equip teenagers to reach their peers with the gospel. And how we do that is we energize the church to mobilize their own teenagers to what we call gospelize their world. And so I think we have the infrastructure in place. The church is there. She just needs awakened and equipped to mobilize their students for the gospel. It could be a mom or dad, grandma, grandpa, but look at these Christian teens as an opportunity to mobilize. There's a quote from an old movie called The Untouchables where Sean Connery plays like the one good cop in Chicago. This is back when Al Capone was ruling the streets. Kevin Costner plays the role of Elliot Ness, you know, who's, who's there to put a stop to the mob. And so he asked Sean Connery's character, hey, how do we find a good cop? And Sean Connery says, well, if you can't find a good apple in the barrel, go to the tree. And they go to the rookie training center where they meet Andy Garcia, this young cop who's yet to be corrupted. And, you know, in the same way, I think a lot of times the churches are institutionalized, but youth leaders oftentimes are not. They're young. They're in. If we can equip them to really mobilize their teenagers for the gospel, really help them see their young people as a latent force of transformation, I really believe we can see the transformation of the church from the youth room to the church auditorium. Because again, these youth leaders on fire, these students on fire, and it reminds the, the adults in that church, man, this is what Christianity is all about. And it gets them convicted and excited and sets the church ablaze. Thanks to our friend Joy, the SavvySauce.com has been completely updated. And if you follow The Savvy Sauce on social media, you're already aware that we launched a new tab on January 1st titled Articles. I hope you check out these new Savvy Snacks, which are articles full of quick tips for intentional living. Check out these articles today or join our email list to have them directly delivered to your inbox. Enjoy! Will you just briefly share an overview of seven ways that you've come up with to help people improve their youth group ministry? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We did a research project years ago, and we found seven common values in every youth ministry that was seeing uh, 25% new conversion growth per year or more. So we actually didn't develop these. We discovered them uh, in these youth ministries. And then I cross-checked them with Scripture, and it's all over the book of Acts, all over the Gospels, all over the Epistles. So real quickly— the youth ministries that really see acceleration, intercessory prayer fuels it. They're praying for their lost friends. Relational evangelism drives it. Students are equipped to share the gospel with their peers, classmates, and teammates. Leaders fully embrace and model it. So the youth leaders, you know, are living this out in their own life. Student leaders, adult leaders, a disciple multiplication strategy guides it. So 
there is disciple multiplication taking place. It's not just about having somebody raise their hand and receive Christ at an event, and then they never get plugged in. It's about multiplying disciples. A bold vision focuses it. All these youth groups had a big, bold vision for their cities, uh, just like Yankees youth group did for the entire city of Denver. Biblical outcomes uh, measure it, so they're measuring the right things, not just like attendance, but like baptisms, you know, gospel conversations, spiritual maturation points. And the last one is ongoing programs reflected. So they program their priorities. You know, they don't just talk about evangelism. They do it. They equip their students. They pray. So those are the seven values. I actually wrote a book called Gospelize Your Youth Ministry that lays those out. And our website lays all that stuff out to help really create that context where students can be discipled. And I think you could call it Gospelize Your Family and use these seven, same seven values in your own family. I do to mobilize your students, your your kids, your grandkids uh, with the gospel of Christ. And you even have a great example of relational evangelism. Can you share the story about how you lived this out with one of your youth groups? You know, Laura, I'll, I'll never forget being invited to go to a public school close to my house to teach a Bible study after school for one of the Christian clubs. And I, you know, gladly did that. It's Arvada West High School. And I went in and there's like 20 students in this room. They got their Bibles. They're kind of hidden in the back room. It's after school. One kid's got a guitar. He's going to lead worship. And I'm there as a guest speaker, going to talk on evangelism. I go, hey, you know, it's a beautiful spring, Colorado day. Why don't we go outside? There's a park right next to the school. There's a big tree. We could sit under the tree, have our time out there. And one kid goes, well, that's where all the kids hang out after school. And the really bad kids are under the tree smoking. I'm like, perfect. Let's go. <laughs> but, uh, this will be this will be a good example. So we took the walk of shame, right down the hallway. They all had their Bibles. A poor kid with a guitar, out the door to the park under the tree, and it looked like the whole school was out there. And sure enough, there's you know kids smoking under the tree. These Christian kids are getting mocked because they're carrying their Bibles, and you know I'm kind of leading the way. I have a saying at Dare to Share: "Awkward is awesome." So this was fully awesome because it was fully awkward. We sit under the tree in a big circle and the poor kid with the guitar starts whisper worshiping, you know, cause he's terrified cause there's uh, kids outside the circle kind of making fun of him and they all kind of worship. And then, uh, you know, a song or two, they look to me, I got 45 minutes to talk on evangelism. I take 20 and I said, okay, I'm done talking about it. And they kind of looked at their watches. Like, is that it? I'm like, well, the Bible says be doers of the word, not hearers only. So now we're going to go do it. And they look terrified. And I looked at the kid on my left. I go, what's your name? He goes, Josh. I said, see those three girls over there? We're going to go talk to them. I go, you guys all pray. Josh and I are going to talk to those three girls. And Josh is like, I know them. I go, good. You can introduce me. And so I grab them. And we walk over there. All the other kids are praying. He's having some kind of seizure on the way over. He's so terrified. And I get up to him. Hey, how's it going? My name's Greg. You guys know Josh. And they're like, hi, Josh. He's like, hi. My mama, it is a terror. I didn't know what to say, you know? And so I started sharing Christ. And this obviously doesn't happen every time, but man, they were so open and they trusted Christ on the spot. And Josh freaked out. He's like, Welcome to the family of God. You're now new believers. You got to grow in your faith in Christ, you know? You're like a baby. And he's like doing his hand motions, like, What is this, Alana? What is happening right now? There, he goes, You got to come to youth group. And I said, Okay, we'll, we'll come. And so we go back to the circle. And all the kids have been praying. They're like, what happened? He goes, they all trust Christ. And he goes, they're coming to youth group with me. And he goes, hey, that kid's a Mormon. I'm getting him. He runs over there like, oh, hold on. Kids are popping up, talking to other kids, coming back with stories, praying. 
in one session, that meeting was turned into a mission. I just honestly think, Laura, that if we could mobilize our students and look at youth group at the time, all week students would go out to their friends on campus, you know, sharing Christ. I mean, go Christian school. My, my daughter goes to a Christian school. I guarantee it. Not all the kids who go to that Christian school know Christ because she shared Christ with several of them, right? Homeschool associations, out to, you know, shopping malls, just sharing Christ and coming back with stories. These kids get on mission. And it is it is awesome to see. Matter of fact, we have a we have an app at Dare to Share called Life in Six Words. It's a free app for students, and there's a map on it where there's active gospel conversations. I look on my app right now, the map of the United States and parts around the world are lighting up with gospel conversations. Teenagers leading their friends to Christ, sharing Christ with classmates, teammates, neighbors, and friends. It is awesome, and I I just believe. We, we need to wait, awaken this sleeping giant. And that's what, you know, my book, Unlikely Fighter, is really all about. It's, it's 22 chapters long, but the first 21 chapters all happened before I turned 16. So it's really about a scared little kid from North Denver that gets equipped, inspired, and mobilized for the gospel because he sees the, the transformation of his entire family. So I'm just trying to take what happened to me as a kid and see that happen all over the world with teams everywhere. And everything is so biblically based and spirit led. And your books and resources are so helpful and practical in this beautiful mix of story and the bottom line and how to share the gospel. One thing, though, you have alluded to your family and using some of these same principles as you're raising children. So can you share a little bit more about the children you and your wife are raising, what their stage is, and how you've applied some of this to them? You bet. And, you know, I don't want to teach Christianity that I'm not living out. And so from the time my kids were little, they've seen me share Christ, you know, with neighbors and strangers and people I meet. And it's just a natural part of the way that we talk. I mean, I often ask people, hey, is there any way I can pray for you? And that leads to gospel conversations because for whatever reason, you become the priest in that moment. And people want to confess to you and confide in you. Not everybody, but a lot more people than you might think. And so my kids have caught that. And it's been it's been exciting to see. Probably this 15 years ago, I was after church. I was going to a the grocery store with my son. He's five at the time. And I'm trying to hurry. And there's this lady at the bottled water and juice aisle. She's like, hey, can you help me read the price tags on the water? I left my, I, I lost my glasses. And so I help her and I'm trying to get out of there. And she's like, yeah, I'm just a mess. I, I lost my dog. My dog died. And, and if it was her cat, I would have just kept moving. But I'm like, oh, it's a dog. What, what happened? And she's like, I had a one-year-old Great Dane pup. It ran out in the middle of the street and got hit by a car. And I'm like, oh, no, because she starts tearing up. And, you know, I'm a dude. I'm like, I don't know what the – I'm like, uh, stop, drop, and roll. Please don't cry. You know, I'm like, what, what's happening? She goes, yeah, I, I'm a mess. And she starts crying because her dog was dead. And I still didn't see that opportunity. But my son was in the zone, five years old. He goes, that's okay, lady. Your dog's in doggy heaven. You can go to heaven too. Daddy, tell her the gospel. And I'm like, uh, oh, okay. So – I start sharing Christ with her, but then I stop and I go, Jeremy, you know how to share the gospel. You show her. I had trained Jeremy in a thing called the gospel hand. So he holds up his hand 
and he uses his thumb. He goes, God loves me. Then his index finger, but I have sinned. Middle finger, Christ died for me. Ring finger, if I believe pinky, I will go to heaven. So he's just, he's laying out the gospel in a kid way that I trained him to do. And she's looking at him like he's a freak. And then she starts bawling, screaming. I mean, making a scene in this grocery store. She's like, I'm so mad at God. She goes, I lost my son to cancer and I bought a dog to comfort me in my grief. And now my dog's dead. She goes, I took all the pictures of Jesus, all the paintings of Jesus in my house. I tore them off my wall. I'm so mad at God. But now I'm seeing this. This is an opportunity. And I'm like laying the gospel on, on her. God lost the son too. I don't know how that feels, but God does. And I'm laying the gospel out. Meanwhile, my son, who's five, you know, Jeremy, God loves me. I have sinned. Christ died for me. If, I mean, he's like, back off, boy. This is what daddy gets paid to do. And man, I... I share the gospel with her. He shares the gospel with her. She ends up trusting Christ in the middle of the grocery store. It was like a scene from a Hallmark movie, collapsed in my arms, bawling, and invited her out to her church. And I'm leaving, and I looked at my son, Jeremy. I'm holding his hand. I go, Jeremy, I was, I was going to miss that opportunity that you had your gospel glasses on. He goes, you proud of me, Dad? I go, yeah. He goes, you buy me some ice cream? I go, yep, I'll buy you some ice cream. So, <laughs> so it's it's in the like, – my daughter now, she's she's 17. She leads a thing called a cause crew at her Christian school where they go through the hallways and they collect prayer requests from kids. And then once a month, she takes a group of her friends. I go with them. We do a thing called Go Share Day. We go out into the city to pray for people, care for people, share the gospel. I don't – in our home, I don't want evangelism to be a program. I want it to be the way that we roll, and it is. My my family is, by God's grace, unashamed of the gospel, and I think we do, we need to lead as parents, as grandparents, that out. We need to we need to lean into the awkward. We need to have those gospel conversations and show our kids and grandkids and other teens this is the good news. You know, if we had the cure to cancer. And somebody had cancer, we would we wouldn't hesitate to share the cure. We have the cure to something worse than cancer, sin, and those who are infected by it are headed somewhere worse than death, or headed to hell. And we have the cure, so we gotta we gotta share the cure. Well, and Greg, there's still so much more that we could learn from you. So after this conversation, if somebody wants to dive a little bit deeper, where would you point them? Yeah, we have a website. It's uh, daretoshare.org, and it's the number two, daretoshare.org. Tons of resources, tools. They can find out about my book, Unlikely Fighter. I have a website, too, gregsteer.org. There's tools, resources, apps, events, curriculum, all sorts of stuff that they can use and really get their youth leaders involved with it as well. And I'd encourage people, too, to pick up a copy of Unlikely Fighter. You know, I've written 20 books. This was the hardest book to write because when you write a memoir, you're getting in a time machine, you're going back, you're reliving stuff. And it really, I mean, it impacted me, traumatized me. There was times I just burst out in tears uh, writing this. And it, I mean, there is a lot of violence in it, but there is a lot of redemption in it, a lot of transformation. I thank God for the power of the gospel that transformed my entire family. But it's my first general market book to adults. And so it's really designed for parents and grandparents and adults that want to be inspired about this next generation. So I encourage encourage people to pick it up. I, I've i written these books. I've never taken a dime for any of the books. It all goes back into Dare to Share so we can mobilize more teens for the gospel. So, Wow, that is so inspiring. And with Unlikely Fighter, we're going to link to all of that and your website and some of your other books 
in the show notes for today's episode to make it easy to find. But Greg, it is so clear that you are willing to do all of this hard work, all of this good, deep work. And I'm so sorry you had to experience that re-traumatization as you were writing this, but I know you were doing this to further the gospel message. And that's very inspiring. You know, Laura, you know, it. I'm actually glad for the opportunity because it felt like therapy, you know, like I think people, when they go into therapy, they go back oftentimes to childhood trauma and all that stuff. Well, I had to pay for it. I mean, I experienced it and it got, it connected a lot of dots for me. I came out a lot stronger spiritually and emotionally uh, as a result of writing Unlikely Fighter. So I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity, just even for me personally. And I was able to interview my family, my uncles, my surviving uncles, cousins, aunts, and really, you know, make sure I was telling the story right. And all of us, boy, have rejoiced in the power, power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change, to change us all. And so we're so grateful for that good news. If anybody, you know, listening doesn't know Christ, boy, Jesus loves you. He died for you on the cross, paid the price for your sin. Son of God became the son of man, died in your place. You are the reason he died on the cross for your sin, because he loves you. And he rose from the dead, he offers eternal life if you simply trust in him. And uh, boy, I did. My family did. My ma did. And it, it changed everything. And if you already know Christ, why would you not share that message with everybody you can? And, and by the way, just as a side note, the gospel's clearly given several times in Unlikely Fighter in the midst of these stories. It's a simple way to get the book, pass it on to somebody who doesn't know Christ, and then follow up with them. It's a simple way to really start that gospel conversation. It's so helpful for so many different people. I think it would benefit all of us. And Greg, you know that we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so as my final question for you today, what is your Savvy Sauce? I think the most practical thing you could do every single day is get up, ask God for an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody that day. But be prepared because he will, that's a prayer that he loves to answer. That's my savvy sauce. That is so good. And Greg, your passion is so contagious and your stories just leave us worshiping our father. So hopefully we're going to start putting these lessons into practice, but your enthusiasm and clarity today definitely inspired us to take action. And I just want to sincerely say thank you for being my guest. Thank you, Laura. It's been a privilege. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so He cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from Him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death, and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life, 
we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.